So here we are. Well, Ricky, it's good to see you, even if it is virtually. Yes, so good to so good to be here. For those who don't know, Ricky Moore is recently retired, now professor emeritus of Old Testament at Lee University. I don't know if that's your official title, but that's how I'm going to refer to you. Do you have an official title now, or are you just grandpa? Uh, that's it, Papa. Papa. All right. How old are the grandkids? 12 and 10 and uh no 13 and 10 yeah that's good and uh and our granddaughter is uh five nice well they're lucky they're lucky to have you as papa but i i I, for those who don't know um ricky has been major 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 figure in my life in, in the life of my family my wife would say the same my kids know you Maybe not as Papa, but they know they know you're a dear friend of Dad's. So so thank you for making time for this. We were talking just the other day, and I asked you how retirement was going, and you started down this line of a shift that's come in your life, and I immediately wanted to share it with all my friends. So I'm going to ask you again: How's retirement going? <laughs> and that's a setup for you to talk about this this new calling that's fallen on you. Yeah, well, I get that question a lot these days. Um, it was a uh, a little over a year ago that uh, I knew that uh, that current year, uh, the twenty one twenty two academic year, would be my last year, uh, and uh, I thought I would uh, teach until I'm I was seventy. So I'm you know was to that point in life when I was thinking about you know the end game and so on. And my wife and I, my wife, Gina, and I were having a lot of conversations about that. And uh, last, uh, a year ago, October, we uh, were having one of those conversations and it just dawned on the both of us almost simultaneously that, um, that, 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 this, uh, that that year would be my last year. And so, uh, and so I took my last lap and uh, made the announcement and, uh, and, uh, you know, had so many people ask me the same questions over and over again about retirement, you know, uh, and the two questions were, uh, what are you going to do and are you going to write? Uh, I guess uh, thinking that as a retired scholar, I would have more time to add something to my scholarly resume. <laughs> so my answer to the first question was, uh, uh, what I'm going to do uh, is right now let go. Yeah. And so I spent uh, months where I knew that was the right answer, uh, even though I was tempted to try to fill in the future, yeah. but all the while realizing that our attempts to do that a lot of times uh, represent our resistance to letting go. And so I really, that was a spiritual discipline for me just to uh, um, think in more in terms of uh, laying things down rather than picking things up. And so the other question, um, are you going to write? I would say yes, but uh, I'm not so interested right now in addressing a scholarly audience. What I want to do, uh, what I feel a desire to do, um, uh, rather, is to uh, write, write things that my children and my grandchildren would one day want to read. Mm. And so that was the question that I... Yeah. Uh, that I gave over and over again, and that I, I really felt it, very deeply felt it. 
even though I didn't have a lot of uh, clarity about what exactly I wanted to write, I figured it would involve stories uh, and memories uh, that I wanted to pass along. Uh, but not a lot of uh, focused uh, specificity about that mm-hmm. until I came to the end of my teaching last spring. And uh, I had um, an opportunity to speak at the church of uh, one of my former seminary students. Um, he was up in Pennsylvania, and it was the 10th year anniversary of his senior pastorate there. Um, and so as I um, was thinking about the milestone for him, but also the kind of milestone for me, I returned to my life scripture um, and thought I would take that up again and take another look at it. And that life scripture I'm talking about is, uh, is Malachi chapter 4, uh, yeah. verses uh, 5 and 6, right there at the end. Uh, the, God's promise to send Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord to turn the hearts of elders to children and hearts of children to elders. Uh, there's no scripture. I have lots of favorite scriptures, but there's no scripture that that more often and more fully uh, and more directly uh, spoke to what I sensed God calling me to do uh, across many, many years. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so uh, when I went back to Malachi chapter four and started looking at it, um, getting ready for this uh, message, this Sunday morning message at this church in Pennsylvania. Uh, I, uh, it all seemed to distill for me in the very first word of the chapter, which is behold. Hmm. Uh, behold, the day is coming. And then uh, toward the end of uh, that short chapter four, Malachi four, it's uh, behold, God says, I will send Elijah the prophet to turn the hearts. And so I had the first two points and the first two parts of my message. Um, and, um, you know, that though, both of those things were things I could really sink my, my teeth into. You know, I, um, I've come at the, the text of uh, um, God sending Elijah the prophet. I've come at that text uh, in so many ways and in so many places in scripture because scripture has so much to do with uh, one generation passing the faith to the next generation, pa- passing the blessing, uh, passing the story, so on and so forth. Um, um, I don't think most people realize how, how prevalent all of that is um, mm. uh, throughout scripture. And I've written lots of things about that in, uh, in, in different books of, of the Bible. Uh, well, that's uh, some know, of that's some of the reason it is scripture, right? Written is precisely right. because these are words that need to outlive the the voice of the one who speaks them, right? Like that, that the word needs to be passed on. That's why writing, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's an obvious fact, but an easily overlooked one. I think. Yeah, and I've often thought about that in relation to canonization, mm-hmm. and you know scholars go at this issue of canonization and they try to pick and turn over every little pebble and rock and try to reconstruct history and you know redaction and all the kind of stuff and i think they mostly ignore the thing that that's most fundamental about all of that and that is that these uh the heart of it all is 
these things were written down because elders wanted with all their heart to leave something to those who came after them. Mm -hmm. And the other side of that is these books were preserved because the children did find in these words, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the words of life. Yeah. And, and so that's how they got written, I think, and passed, and that's how they got preserved and, and even eventually canonized. And um, so, so yes, it, it's, um, <laughs> it accounts for the canon and it's everywhere in the canon as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, like and Deuteronomy, it's, it, it's yeah. so, uh, you know, prominent and, uh, and uh, overt in what Moses is, is, is doing in that book and what the yeah. book is saying about itself. Yeah, I was I was going to bring up Deuteronomy as, you know, something you taught me, right? That Deuteronomy is showing you not just what the message is, but how the message has to be given and given again and given again. And, and that's what's happening to you, right? I mean, personally, you're right. reaching that point in your life where you, you have to write things down to pass on. Right, right. Um, exactly. And so, you know, I, I'm uh, the passion is Uh, to do this and yeah. uh, so behold but there's the text and then there's the context and that's what really began to jump out in a fresh way uh when i was getting this message ready um uh, the context is um the context to behold god will send the prophet to turn the hearts the context of that is behold the day is coming yeah and and of course that throws it into this you know, this category of apocalyptic urgency. Um, and I was even thinking about how uh, the day is coming is a prediction of the future. But behold, the day is coming is, is something that makes that present. Uh, yeah. It, it turns that into a, a, an urgent, uh, present tense uh, response. And, and, and so from there, you know, I was off and running because uh, my convictions about about both of those beholds are pretty strong. Mm. My conviction about behold the day is coming, um, it it touches on how I I think by and large we're not beholding that. Yeah, uh, it's it's just fallen completely off of our the screen of of most of our rank and file Christianity. Uh, yeah. especially in the West. And, uh, and so anyway, a uh, lot to be said there. And, uh, and of course, a lot of the, you know, you know me well enough to know that, that I've, uh, I've been pretty strong on the importance and uh, uh, the crucial role of apocalyptic in our faith. I mean, you've, you've known that about me uh, for a long time, sure. but but obviously, when 2020 came along, hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, we, we had plenty of reasons to be apocalyptic before right. that. But, you know, if, 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 if God's people can't be apocalyptic now, what would it take? Yeah. What, what in the world would it take, uh, you know, to see uh, the, the whole world shaken, uh, you know, our... our you know, um, you know, let me just throw this in here. I, my last semester 
got planned before I knew it was going to be my last semester. And what I ended up doing was planning uh, to uh, team teach a course with a colleague of mine whose specialty is intertestamental apocalyptic. Hmm. And, uh, and I've always thought, and we've talked and had conversations, this, this uh, faculty colleague and I, that one day we needed to, <laughs> to do a course together. So we finally did that. And it, and it uh, without us planning it this way, it turned out to be my last uh, semester of teaching. So, you know, I could, the, the apoc apocalyptic juices were really, were really <laughs> flowing for me. And uh, the, the title of the course was a Biblical Apocalyptic in a Time of Global Pandemic. And so, um, you know, lots of lots of really great sessions. Our students, we had about twelve students, and they were so ready for this, um, and we were ready to for it as well. Um, and all kinds of personal things happened during the midst of it, to include my colleague's father passing away um, mm. one day uh, when he when class was meeting. So I mean, that's and. And I, uh, I guess one of the takeaways of that course for me was that interrelationship between the uh, the end with a capital E and uh, all of the endings yeah. uh, in our lives that uh, can be, could be, should be windows into the ultimate end, mm -hmm. but so often they're not. Um, and, um, you know, if we just paid attention to those endings, we could behold yeah. the day of the Lord and, um, and, and step into the biblical, uh, vision that God's word is calling us to step into. Uh, but we just have all of these ways of pushing away from the end, our own endings and the, and the, that pushing away from our own endings, um, you know, keeps us from uh, being able to behold uh, yeah. the ending that God is putting in front of us and yeah. commanding us to behold. Hmm. Um, another way of coming at that, a short way to say that is um, we want to be prepared for the end time without being prepared for the end of me time. Hmm. Right, right. Uh, and, uh, and, you, you, it's a package deal. It is yeah. a package deal. Well, it's one of the things that strikes me here in what you're saying is that these experiences, these apocalyptic events that should make us aware that it's all out of our grasp often makes us grasp harder to hold more tightly. You talked about your first responsibility was to let go in this season right. of your life. First, you have to let go. Right. And so the, the letting go of the control or the, the illusion of control is an aspect of beholding what you cannot manage, like what cannot be, right. cannot be brought to heal. You know? And unfortunately, tragically, the deception is when our worlds shake, most of us by instinct, instead of beholding, we grasp, we, we try to get right. a tighter hold when what we need is behold and let go. Right. Exactly. That's, that's so well put. And, and, you know, um, you, you know, you're, 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 you're dancing right now to the music that I, that I've been dancing to. Yeah. Um, 
in this in this phase of my life, you know, in this recognition that Ricky Moore is coming to an end, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and uh, so 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 packing up my office and you know packing up forty years of teaching uh, and all of the feelings that that can stir up, uh, it becomes a spiritual exercise yeah. uh, of of facing the end and <laughs> and and saying yes. Uh, you know, to what God is, is, is wanting to do and what he's wanting to undo, <laughs> you know? Mm. Um, yeah. Sorry about that phone. No, you're uh, good. It's, it, it makes it this authentic. <laughs> okay. I haven't heard a ring like that in a, in a minute though. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, well, what can I it. say? I'm, um, I'm almost 70 now and uh, we still have a landlord. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Okay, so okay. let's come All back right. to the sermon. So you're you've got the sermon now. You you're going to give it your yeah. your former students' church his anniversary, tenth anniversary. And yeah. I, I've heard this story before, so I want to make sure you get to the the moment <laughs> where you call them forward, and they all have this realization. Yeah. Right. So well, talk about uh, that. Okay. Um, let me say one more thing in response to what you just said yeah, yeah, please. Uh, about letting go. Um, you know, at, at the beginning of the chapter, you just hear, behold, the day is coming. Mm-hmm. And then as you move through the chapter, it gets explicated, you know, from just the mere term, the day. So a, a few couple of verses down, it's the day when I act which I think is a good definition for the day of the Lord, yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. which can be any day, by the way, when he acts. Um, um, I'm tempted to say a lot more, but I'm not going to. The day <laughs> of the Lord is, is uh, yeah. we, we've talked about it a lot, you and I have. But, um, but then there's that statement, you know, it's going to burn up the wicked. Uh, but for those who fear the Lord, mm-hmm. um, um the um, the sun of righteousness will arise with healing in it in its wings. Um, so the day is coming like a burning oven to the wicked, but it's coming like the sun s u n of righteousness that's arising with healing in its wings for those who fear the Lord. And just like we uh, don't uh, behold the day of the Lord anymore that's gone out of style so has the fear of the lord yeah yeah and and all of that um becomes important to the context of god's promise to send the prophet elijah to turn hearts because that's going to happen before the great and dreadful day of the lord and what 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 i noticed this time around in a way i never had before is the fact that the word translated dreadful there in some of the translations um, is, is from that same root, if yara, fear, to fear. Mm. So, so fearing the Lord, you know, you, you know, you were talking earlier about how you can't behold the day if you don't let go. Yeah. And you can't, um, uh, um, uh, fear the Lord, the Lord of the day, if you don't see that the day is great and fear evoking. Yeah, yeah. 
So anyway, uh, I didn't. I, by the way, I didn't say all this in the <laughs> in the message, <laughs> but. Uh, now that I've got you on the phone and yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you're now saying that, it. Yeah. Now that we're having a conversation like uh, like we often do, uh, that's very energizing. I uh, I just wanted to make that statement about mm. the importance of the fear of the Lord putting us in the right posture, yeah. uh, and in the right context to behold the day. Well, well one of the things I, I should say for everybody who's listening, one of the things I learned from you is that in Scripture, the fear of the Lord is the fear that delivers us from all other fears that, that, that right. to fear the lord is a way of saying and therefore i have nothing nothing else to fear because it's it's better right. to fall into the hands of the lord than to the fall in the hands of man and i think tragically and ironically to to lose the fear of the lord is to be gripped by all of these other fears right which which keep us fixated on worldly comings and goings and outcomes and fallout and i think to to fear the lord rightly is to be set free from all of that to recognize exactly. it for the noise it is and the smoke it is yeah and it's the and it's the uh the only antidote yeah um you know we we say perfect love casts out fear you know i'll i'll always get that pushback from students you know when i'm trying to teach the fear of the lord yeah uh, always get that pushback and um and if, and one of my one of my statements is, if the God we worship um, only attracts our love and never evokes our fear, we have an idol, mm. and we're really not loving the God of Scripture. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I, can, I, and to the, to your point there, like. I think an aspect of fear of the Lord is this recognition that that he is another, that he's not an extension of my desires or a projection of my own ego. To fear the Lord is to acknowledge he is someone other than me, right? who has right. a mind of his own, has purposes of his own, a heart of his own, and that it is, it's before that mystery, that right endless mystery that that i that i live right and 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 have the gift of living so i th i think we've had such distorted teaching about what fear is you know th the text does not say it casts out the fear of the lord but it casts out fear of punishment right that i don't need this lord i fear i know well enough to know i don't need to fear what he's going to do to me precisely right. because i fear him and know him I and know that I don't know everything that's in his heart. I do know that what's there beyond my imagination is good for me. However hard it may be, however surprising it may be, it's it's nothing for me to be intimidated about. I can be bold, but right. he is God and I'm not. And he, he is a living God, not an idol. Right, right. I think, <laughs> you know, sometimes I, I get... Um, uh, to the place in trying to teach this, that it, it's like I can never teach people, yeah, all the way there. Um, you know, um, it's like it takes an encounter, mm -hmm. and when you encounter this God, you don't need a professor to tell you 
what the fear of the Lord is. Yeah. Um, and how that the fear of the Lord doesn't doesn't take from the love of the love for the Lord. Yeah. You just know, it's just yeah. in that moment, in that moment of encounter, it's it's loving like you've never known loving and fearing like you've never known fearing all at the same time. Hmm. Yeah. So it's not like a balance. And I think <laughs> right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not love uh, mixed with fear. Like it, right. it's something truly transcendent. Yeah. Yeah. Like a fusion as our, yeah. as our teacher, Steve Land used to talk about fusions. Yeah. Um, well, I do think, I do think one thing about <clears throat> the role of the professor is not to teach people there to the experience, but there, it, it has two functions at least. One is for those who've had the experience, it helps them find the language so they can testify about the experience to their sons and daughters. Yeah. And I think to those who have not had the experience, it's a witness that that experience remains, right? That, that this, this is a living God who speaks, who is present and, and he will show up right? like you're going to have right. that experience. And so this language is there for you when you have it, when it comes to you, you'll know this is what's happening. Right. right. That, and that of course makes me think that, you know, in, in Hebrew scripture, the ultimate uh, teacher is, uh, is Moses who stuttered, yeah. <laughs> who couldn't speak. Yep. And, uh, and yet he's the one that's entrusted with articulating, you know, uh, more than any other, you know, this, this thing that we're talking about right here, the, yeah. the fear of the Lord. Um, well, and of, and of course, that's in Malachi 4 too, you know, remember the Torah of Moses. Yeah. You know, and we immediately start thinking in terms of laws and statutes and all that kind of stuff. But the word is Torah. Yeah. And the Torah is <laughs> is is the whole encounter. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, with Yahweh um, in the Exodus and um, through the Exodus and inside and at Sinai and out of the fire, the voice out of the fire that that evokes the fear of the Lord. I mean, Moses didn't have to tell them, you know, uh, <laughs> you really need to fear the Lord here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's part of the, the healing in his wings line yeah. is that's a, that's what's happening to Moses when he's hidden in the rock. I mean, he's behind the wings right. and the light passes by. Right. So the, oh. it's to be, you know, we old school Pentecostals, we sing that song, the, if I could, I surely would stand on the rock where Moses stood. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what we're singing right there, right? Like, I want to be hidden in that cleft, which, by the way, is evoking fear in Moses right. and everyone else. And yet Moses presses yeah. through that fear into that hidden place. And right. the Lord passes by. So I, I think, yeah, I'd forgotten that, that that connection is there in Malachi. But it's clear Malachi is recalling moses encounter right 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 and of course the rabbis say as you know the rabbis say at least some of them that there's this echo or repetition of moses encounter with the lord in the hidden place and elijah's encounter with the lord in the cave oh yeah and all of that of course malachi is drawing together right exactly exactly okay um so the two beholds uh, yeah. <laughs> but there was a third one there was mm. a third one 
And and for that one, you know, I, I in my message that I was preparing, I reached forward to uh, how Luke picks up where Malachi leaves off in the story of uh, Zechariah, the priest in the temple, uh, visited by the angel Gabriel. Uh, you're going to have a son um, who is going to be raised up in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the heart. Um, and uh, Zechariah, how can this be? I'm old and my wife is old. Yeah. And then the, the angel Gabriel says, behold, yeah. uh, you will be mute uh, and not able to speak until this thing comes to pass. And so that was my third, that was the third point of my three-point sermon. Behold the day, behold, uh, God says, I'm sending Elijah to turn the hearts and behold, uh, uh, he's saying to uh, the people of this elder generation, he's saying to them, um, I have a way of proving to you uh, that this promise is true and that I am in the process of doing this very thing in your lives and in your midst. Um, and your, your doubt and your balking at this with the thought that you're too old um, is not going to keep it from happening. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm going to overrule that doubt and that pushback and that balk. I'm going to override that with this affliction that you're yeah. going to have. And, uh, and it wasn't until I had that conversation with you and you, you shared that, that marvelous thought of how um, God is taking away one faculty, that of speaking to uh, intensify another faculty, behold. Yeah. And of course, when you read the rest of the story, it's very clear that uh, that uh, that other faculty of being able to behold the work of God in his life uh, was something that happened uh, to and through Zechariah the priest, mm. uh, and so that was so that was my message. And 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 obviously we've gone on some some side trails here in, in talking about some of these these other things as 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 I've discussed Malachi four and Luke one here today with you. But uh, there on that Sunday morning, when I got to the end of the message, I was planning, you know, just to turn things back over to uh, to the pastor who was being appreciated and honored that day. Uh, but instead, I looked over the, the front of the of the, the podium and I said, I have this impulse to do something right now. And he said, go for it. Uh, of course, he's a a compliant student of mine. So uh, what's he going to say? No, don't do yeah. it. Uh, but he had no idea what I planned to do. And, and, and until that moment, I didn't either. And so I just said, I want all the old people to come forward. Mm. And, uh, and I said it just like that, you know, uh, in light of the story and in, in the, in the text I had just presented. Yeah. Um, and I just let it, you know, flop out there with all of its boldness and bluntness. If you're old, come here. Yeah. And 
it, it was just an amazing moment, you know, because they were they were looking at one another and uh, chuckling and squirming and going through this process of deciding, you know, <laughs> am I going to stand up and walk down this aisle and admit that I'm old? You know, <laughs> it's, it's almost like harder than a sinner coming into the altar yes. in our culture to do that, to make that yes. admission. Uh, but this church was ready for it uh, after that, you know, awkward few moments and they started coming and then they just filled up, you know, the, the, the entire front from wall to wall. And, uh, and then it was easy uh, to, to know what to do. I, I just wanted to go and, and anoint them with oil. I asked the pastor and his wife and the pastor emeritus and his wife, and it was his father. So there was all that intergenerational stuff going on there. Um, even in that anointing, that spontaneous anointing, but as we anointed with oil and prayed for these people, <laughs> they knew, they knew they were being impregnated mm -hmm. with, with God's new thing during this time, you know, uh, um, in defiance of all of those voices in our culture that say, you're just too old, you're, you're, yeah. you're just too old to be valuable, to be with it, to um, your best days are over, and wow, <laughs> there's so much down underneath the surface in all of that, that that I just felt God was giving me a chance to just, just bring it up, yeah. bring it forth, bring up all of those um, feelings of inferiority and fear um, about, uh, you know, losing our youth and losing our um all all the things we lose when we start getting older right. <laughs> yes. and yes. Uh, and to think that you know what god's word is saying is behold behold the day hmm. when it when it seems like everything's dying behold the day it's the day of the lord it's not just the day of covid yeah or the day of uh you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, or on and on and on, um, the end of, of American supremacy. It's it's not just the day, all of these days mm -hmm. that we we that we so fear. Yeah. And 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 of course, back to the point of about the fear of the Lord in our Christian faith. You know, that's too dangerous for us. The fear of the Lord, while at the same time. We've, we've never lived in a more fear-ridden and fear-driven yeah. mode of living than we yeah. are right now. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, God's word just, to me, piercing through all that, saying, behold, behold the day. And behold, God is going to do a new thing between mm -hmm. generations, because it's the worst pandemic in the world, by the way. I did say that in the message. Yeah, the, the one between, the one that infects families, yeah. Right, it starts right there. And, you know, we try to patch everything up out here, you know, and all these societal crusades. And when there's so much rot and, and division and, and detachment and distance right there, you know, in the, in the, in the, the homes we come out of. And it's and it's riddled our culture. It's riddled our 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 populations, and it's riddled our churches. And um, yeah, yeah. Yet there well, is one thing. Yeah. One thing, Ricky. I I think 
man, there's so many things coming to mind because, you know, years of conversations that we've shared, but it's not lost on me that we're recording this on election day, right? Yeah, exactly. We're having this conversation when the polls are still open, right? And it is, at least in the circles you and I have moved in, it's astounding how quickly, you know, and, and again, I don't know all Christians everywhere. I don't even know all the Christians in my circles, but in the circles I move in, I mean, it is astounding how dramatically our tone has shifted and because we're dominated by fear and the, the shifts that we're seeing, you know, I wouldn't, if you talked to me, if you had told me five years ago or 10 years ago about what today is, I wouldn't have believed that. I couldn't have believed that, right? And it's it's a it's stunning how much has shifted because to not be looking at the Lord, right? To not be beholding Him is to just lose our lose our bearings altogether, right? Like we're we're just looking this way, looking this way and that. I don't want to take us sideways, but I, man, I feel that. So oh strongly. no, I mean, I, I want to jump in there myself and say, you know, you know, what are the issues that voters are concerned about? What's the issue that God is concerned about? Mm-hmm. My Bible tells me right here in Malachi that before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, the one, the top thing on his agenda and, and on his platform is turning the hearts of generations one to the other. That's what he's concerned about. And he's going to do something about it mm-hmm. because, uh, <laughs> uh, because he's not up for election. Yeah, <laughs> thank, thank God. <laughs> uh, although you would think he is the way we talk sometimes. So uh, one of the things I love about this is that moment of, like you said, throwing it out there. If you're old, get up here. And I, I'm reminded of Kierkegaard, which we've talked many times. I mean, your your work is so much like his in so many ways. <laughs> Look at there. I was <laughs> reading it today. See it, we're, we're holding up the concept of dread right now. Right. When, when I was reading uh, the term for uh, the great and dreadful day of the Lord, I said, mm. you know, I, I need to go back and look at this. So I've been reading this Concept today. Of dread. Yeah, no, that's here's, exactly here's another one. Here's another one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, another great book, The Idea of the Holy by Otto. So uh, Bishop Ed will love to see that you're reading that. I, I think I can't, I think it's in Fear and Trembling that that he says this, but somewhere he makes the point that we've imagined the Christian life as something for the young and the agile, the the energetic and the innocent. But what we should see and what we see in scripture, if what we would see if we looked at scripture closely is that it's not until the end of Abraham's life, at the end of Sarah's life, that they're even in the position to have faith. That it's, it's only in, in the facing of death, the facing what you, what you talked about as the end of themselves that they can come face to face with the one who is the end. Right. Right. So I think that, you know, that some of what is infecting us, right. Is that we don't want to look to our fathers because we we don't want to face our ends. And some of our fathers and mothers have been afraid to face their ends. And that men then cuts them off from their children. That, That at the heart of this is we have to be willing to own we're not everything to everybody and we can't be. And it's precisely at that moment of, you know, I'm, I'm out of, I'm out of steam. 
I have, I don't have much left to give, if anything. It's precisely then Kierkegaard would say that now faith is possible. <laughs> like, like now you can believe in the God who does the impossible. Right. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That ending is, is the beginning of, of what God is trying to do and what he's been trying to do all along. But yeah. all of this reminded me of, um, you know, I, I think so much of why this intergenerational vision has been so important to me and this intergenerational promise has been so important to me in my life is because when I was a young man, I ran into a dilemma and I needed an elder and God sent me an elder and he was a retired minister uh, and I spent 10 years with him and, mm. and he mentored me and fathered me. And, uh, and so uh, I have so many stories I, to tell about that. And, and I'll tell some of them to my kids and grandkids. Uh, and I've already started, but we're riding together. This old man and, and I uh, are riding together. Uh, to go visit uh, a prisoner in a, in a prison in Alabama because he got transferred from our town here in Cleveland, Tennessee, down to this prison in Alabama. And so we had this little road trip. And so we're riding through the night, having a wonderful conversation. Um, and uh, he looks at me at one point uh, as he's driving down the road. And he said, when I and it was just, it wasn't about anything we were talking about. It was almost like he was stepping back from our conversation and just appreciating the, the fact that we were having this kind of conversation, whatever it was, what, whatever the subject was. And he said, you know, he said, when I see you, I see the end of me. Hmm. And I remember as a young person, not fully understanding what he was getting at, but feeling complimented by that, just deeply complimented. When I see you, I see the end of me. And then, and then he said this, he said, uh, and if I let it, that would really, really bother me. Mm. And then he waited a few more seconds and then he smiled and looked at me and he said, but I've decided that I'm not gonna let it bother me. Mm. And I've always looked back on that moment as kind of uh, representative of our whole relationship, you know, yeah. decade-long relationship. And uh, and I felt like he was divulging a secret yeah. that, that old people keep. Mm. And they don't tell. <laughs> they don't tell the young people um, how intimidating they are. <laughs> to them they they keep that secret and they also keep a lot of other things harvard that keep them from blessing yeah from letting go mm -hmm. <laughs> and letting that blessing flow because you know the very last word of malachi 4 is lest i come and strike the land with a curse the turning of the hearts is all about the reopening the unclogging of the channel of blessing. Mm -hmm. Because when that gets unclogged, then blessing flows the way God designed it in the covenant. Yeah. Um, and, and if that doesn't, if those heart turnings don't happen, 
and uh, that conduit stays blocked. Um, the only outcome and end is curse. Yeah, uh, that's what it is. Well, it's the sickness of the body. It's the sickness of the body politic, right? I mean, right. It, it's not. It's not an accident that this pandemic is is more than simply a pandemic. It's a metaphor of all the other things that have diseased us, right? That's part okay. of the reason I think it feels apocalyptic. Right. And there's a, just one aspect of this is we've, many of us in our, the churches and the circles you and I move in, we've talked a lot about the family, but we mean the family within a generation, husbands, wives, kids. Right. When God talks about the family, he's thinking across the generations. Right. And it's one thing for me to have my heart open to my children. It's another thing for me to have my heart open to my father to my mother and right. the and 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 so on right and my right. unwillingness to do that right then starts to spill over into the body politic it affects my congregation it affects my community and suddenly we're trying to solve problems politically economically that really are problems in our homes not between husbands and wives so much as between sons and daughters and mothers and fathers right and generate and uh you know and and grievances between a living generation and a dead generation yes yep yeah you know i remember marilyn robinson in that lecture i think i shared with you you shared with yeah, me yeah, 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 i yeah. shared it with other people where she made that point about how we're so good at um you know just heaping scorn on uh on dead generations hmm. and i i think that the torah uh in you know uh, the torah of moses uh when it comes to the top 10 commands of that torah uh honor your father and mother is in play there yeah uh, and you know of course we're really quick to say well they're so dishonorable yes. how can i honor that generation because hmm. You know, mm -hmm. they did this or they did that. Yeah. Uh, but it, it it occurred to me one day that that the story uh, that in which that command is embedded is a story of how an older generation blew it in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you know, there's no excuse. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, and I'm thinking I'm thinking of David and the honor that he shows Saul. You know, right. Saul is dishonorable. Absolutely. Right. right. David's honor is seen precisely in his readiness to do what can be done to honor this dishonorable king. Right. And right. Yeah. The Rizba, his, the Rizba story is, is in play there. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, you've written exactly. about beautifully. All right. So talk to me before we stop. Talk to me about what was birthed in you that day or what, what you got pregnant with, right? As you were talking to those those folks in Pennsylvania? Well, I'd say two things. I walked away from that weekend realizing th that, that that was God answering that question. What am I supposed to do with this retirement? Hmm. And, uh, and I think I've told you and I've told others that, that I realized that that wasn't just a message of the moment or a message of the week or a message of the month, but that was the message of, of a season and and i i just feel like i'm gonna have an opportunity to 
to, to speak um, these stirrings wherever I go. Yeah. Um, I told somebody I felt like Paul Revere, um, you know, riding through uh, the land uh, saying, wake up, wake up, you know, wake up and behold, the day is coming. Wake up and behold, God has promised to send the prophet to turn the hearts of generations and, and behold, um, God will take things away from us yeah. uh, to prove to us um, that his promise to give this is, is true. Um, and so I, uh, one practical outcropping of, of all of this was uh, it came to me a day when uh, I had to take my daughter to a medical treatment that lasted about two hours. And so I, uh, I went to the mall and to Barnes and Noble and sat down and opened my laptop and I started having these thoughts and I started jotting down um, what I thought might be the outline of a, another message spinning out of all these things I've been sharing from Malachi 4. And, uh, and so once I got it uh, sketched out in those two hours that I sat there, uh, a couple of days later, I ventured to share it with my two uh, grown daughters um, and uh, my, uh, my oldest daughter lives in North Carolina, but she was visiting and she was here on a trip. And so I got to share this with my two daughters at the same time. And when I shared with them the outline, my oldest daughter said, Dad, I think that uh, what you've shared is not just the outline for a message, but it's the outline for a book. And then um, I said, yeah, I think so too. And I think maybe that, um, that you two, you, you know, Emily and Hannah, my two daughters, I said, I think that you two might be um, supposed to help me write this. Hmm. Um, and then my youngest daughter, Hannah said, well, dad, I think uh, that it's quite likely that more people will read this book than anything you've ever written which <laughs> <laughs> that's a double-edged sword yes <laughs> yeah that's right and, and, and i got the i got the bad side of that edge uh, <laughs> first but uh, she assured me that she was uh, excited about the prospect of my turning my attention uh, our attention to a wider audience than just uh, oh. doing something for scholarly publication yeah and so um, I have I have a book that I'm presently working on, and the title of it is Turning Hearts, uh, How Elders Can Turn Their Hearts or Need to Turn Their Hearts to Their Children. Hmm. It's very, it's very practical. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, I realized that together with that message that I preached in that church in Pennsylvania, that for 40 years, I've uh, carried this intergenerational burden, but I've been primarily focused upon the turning the hearts of the young to the old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm really feeling this urgency about um, uh, speaking to the older generation and, um, and giving this message to them. So I've got seven chapters that have, have been outlined and sketched, and these are the ones that I shared with you the other day. Yeah, I want to hear them. Read through at least okay. the major parts of it. Okay. Well, uh, tell, tell stories to your children when they're young uh, and tell them with all your hearts as if their lives depended upon it because they do. Mm. 
um, hint, their hearts are hardwired for stories. Uh, chapter two, let your children tell you their stories when they're coming of age and listen with all your heart as if your life with them depended upon it because it does. Chapter three, look for significant points of contact between your children's stories and your stories. Hint, the most significant and deepest and pointed points of contact are found not in your PowerPoints, but in the weak points of your stories and their stories. Chapter four, be ready to tell your stories to your children when they question you about your rules. Hint, their questions might be signals of readiness to hear your stories rather than signs of rebellion. Chapter five, tell your stories to your questioning children and tell them with all your heart as if their lives depended upon it because they do. And don't fail to tell them the weak points of your stories that led to your rules and how the weak points of your stories led you to see how God rules. And tell them the stories about you as if God were the main character in your stories because he is. And use the term us when you tell them your stories as if your children were included in the us because they are. And by the way, I've got scripture for all of, of this. Course, yeah. <laughs> Chapter six, um, know that as you include your children in your stories in this way, there is a promise. The promise is this, they will become part of your stories and you will become a part of their stories, stories they will tell their children. And you will be protagonists in their stories rather than an antagonists who are cut out of your story, their stories. So that your stories and their stories won't drive you apart, but instead draw you together, turning your hearts toward one another and turning your hearts toward God. And the last chapter seven, know that God is turned toward all of us with all of his heart. God is a father whose heart is ever turned toward his children and precisely so through the telling of stories as is writ large in scripture, in the Torah and in the gospels. And God's own son is the author and finisher of the ultimate story that finally and fully includes us all. So there's my outline. Yeah, I, th I think your daughters are right. At least they're right that this is a book. I hope they're right that everybody reads this and then goes on to read the other stuff that you've written. It makes me think well, of so much, but yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. At, at this point in my life, I, I go back to what I said. I I, I want to write stories right now. I want to write things that, uh, that my children and my grandchildren will one day want to read. Mm -hmm. and, and having my own daughters uh, in on the writing process and, you know, uh, talking with me through it, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's not only a, uh, um, it, it, you know, it's a manifestation of of what the book's all about it'll yeah. give us it'll give us a chance and an opportunity for a lot of sharing of and, and remembering of stories yeah i mean what it what it makes me think of is and i've been thinking about a lot this a lot lately is this is the story of israel like jacob israel right i mean that that sense of wrestling 
with himself, with his image of himself, with the image of his father, his brother, finding out that that's the Lord. And, and yet in Hebrews, it's Jacob leaning on his staff who's speaking blessing, right? That, that this one who had to steal a blessing when he was a boy, when he's an old man, is giving one, right? And he's giving one to both sons, right? Not, not to one of the boys. And I think, I mean, that's, that's what's been written down for us. I mean, that's the wisdom that has been passed down is, you know, live toward that end, live in such a way that when you get to the end, you can speak blessing and not curse. And, but you're only going to be able to do that in, if you've had that turn, right. That Malachi promises, right. And, and that is, you'll, you'll limp after you've been turned in that way, but that's what makes it, it opens that conduit up as you talked about before. And so at the end of your life, you know, what comes out of you is blessing and not cursing. And I, I think that's the, that's the measure of it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that back to the letting go, uh, because, you know, I, I've just, I've just been through a couple of, uh, in the last number of weeks, I've been through some very, very difficult uh, um, experiences where fathers close to me have died. Mm. And I, I have seen them fight, you know, right down to the, to the end, <laughs> you know, or at least close to the end. Yeah. Um, you know, even to the point of just making it just so difficult for everybody around them that's trying to help them. Yeah. And, and just spewing, you know, the, the anger <laughs> about, about that loss of everything. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it caused me to remember a, uh, a poem that I hadn't read or looked at since I was in high school hmm. uh, from the Irish poet, uh, Dylan Thomas, Yeah, you know, uh, don't, don't go gentle into that good night. Yeah. Rage, rage. rage against the dying of the light. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I, because I could see that happening, you know, <laughs> in these instances close to home, um, and, and because I was in the light of everything I've said here today, praying for them yeah. that they could make that turn, you know, and, and, you know, these fathers were fathers of the faith. Yes. And yet they, they were in the midst of that test of letting go, which by the way, I mean, you know, it's easy, <laughs> it's easy b before you, um, you know, to brag <laughs> about what uh, you would do. Yeah. No what doubt. you put on your armor, uh, yeah. you know, uh, but uh, it's another thing to take it off. And uh, so anyway, I looked up that, that poem and I, and I, and I started reading it and I didn't even remember it. I had no clue about the very last stanza hmm. and the very last stanza begins curse my father bless me that's how the last stanza it's, so the whole thing is yeah. is like a son 
you know, standing beside his dying father uh, and, and, and kind of uh, instigating his, you know, the advice to, to, to curse, you know, all, as if to say, to force a blessing. Out. Yeah, to force get the blessing. Out. Get it out. Yeah. Get it expressed. Yeah. And get it out so you can bless me because I'm dying for your blessing. Mm. And um, so I, um, I, I'm, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very encouraged on this election day. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I'll be honest to say, I don't have to look any further than my own heart to see the powerful, you know, suction of, of fear, mm -hmm. you know, fear about what's going to happen. You know, yeah. I don't have to yeah. look any further than my own heart to see that I've got the disease, as we mm -hmm. talked about, yeah. you know, and the malignant, the malignancy that goes with that. but. But I, and so one of the reasons that I, I press into these texts is because uh, I'm, I'm trying to preach to myself. Yeah. You know, and to remind myself that, uh, you know, there's, that, that God has, a, has an answer for all of this. Well, that's Deuteronomy again, right? Remember, I'm going to rehearse all of this in your hearing again. We're going to, we not only have to tell our stories, we have to tell our stories again and again. Keep telling them, right? Keep telling right. them. Yeah. I had one of my students one time uh, who wrote a paper on this text, and he said, uh, you know, verse 4 of Malachi 4 is, remember the Torah of Moses. And uh, <clears throat> verse 5 is, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. And he made the, the really wonderful point that old people like to remember and young people like to behold the future. Mm -hmm. But God is going to send a revival where the young remember and where the old behold. Yeah. Uh, he's going to turn our hearts. That's he, he's he's going to do it. You know, that's yeah. because after 40 years of, <laughs> of carrying this burden, I, I know one thing for sure. I can't do it. No. Uh, and that's why this promise is so precious to me. But you, yeah, <laughs> you, we, and we all can remember that it has been done and behold, it is happening, you know? Right. Well, and I'm, be and I'm beginning to see it. Yeah. I, I, even, even in those instances I named, you mm -hmm. know, you know, the, the, those final days of turning that I saw with my own eyes and, yeah. And, and saw that as, as, you know, fulfillments of my faith and answers to my prayers, you know, because I saw, I saw fountains of, of, uh, of cursing, you know, transformed into fountains of blessing. I love that. Well, I want to have you back soon because I want to talk about dreams and dreams and visions, which is related to this conversation, but we'll, we'll, We'll call it a enough for today, and and then we'll circle back. Good luck on your writing, and I I know that Hannah and Emily will will keep you on task, right? If if you start to to veer off, but I love you. <laughs> thank, thank you for making time for this, Ricky. 
Oh, thank you. I always enjoy being with you, Chris, and talking with you. Thank you so much. Absolutely.